I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, and it is time, Sam. It's time to preview Conference Championship Weekend, two big games, six great hours. We're going to do it right here. Mm. No, we, we're going to do it uh, in about an hour, <laughs> theoretically. Mm. We got a hard out. We got a hard out. Stuff's going on here Yeah, we're in getting, the studio. We're getting kicked out of the studio for somebody else. Yeah. The boss. Some, yeah. Bigger, bigger name, bigger person. Well, well arguable. Not, not amongst our demographic. That's true. Not here on YouTube. No. No, no. We're a bigger name than Chris. Um, so we're going to preview Little Eagles 49ers and Bengals Chiefs. You ready to go? Let's go. We got to keep it tight here. So we got two games. That's it. It's Sunday afternoon. We don't have to work on Saturday, Sam. Sweet. It's great. Uh, Three o'clock Sunday afternoon, the NFC Championship. The San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. It is... You know, we've seen a lot of playoff games that have been rematches, but this is not one. We haven't seen these two teams play since early in 2021, and that was a long time ago, both, you know, time-wise and also just the way the teams look right now. That was a time where Jimmy Garoppolo looked horrible for the Niners, and Jalen Hurts was just starting his first full season as a starter. A lot has changed since then. So here we are, the NFC Championship, and based off the way – the season has gone. It does feel like these are the two best teams in the NFC. Like, we got yeah. it right. I think the, the final four, I feel like we got the right teams here. So this is just going to be an incredible matchup. Yeah, I think they're two fantastic games. Um, I think generally this is probably the best four teams. If there was one that missed out that maybe could have made it, I think Buffalo is the obvious one. But you can't really argue with what happened between the Bills and the Bengals last week. So Cincinnati, I think, is absolutely here on merit. And the way they're playing – it's probably the right way for that to go. Maybe Buffalo, maybe Buffalo was the better team over the course of the entire season, but they tailed off. The Bengals came on strong, and I think they're the better one right now. And then the NFC side, Philadelphia has been that team all season long. The 49ers, again, came on strong as the season wore on. And if you look at, like, just since Brock Purdy came into the lineup, their passing game has gone to a different level. Now, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about what is to – or what – is that attributed to but it doesn't really matter for the sake of this their passing game right now is cooking which absolutely catapults them into onto the same kind of level as philadelphia uh there's a lot of similarities between both teams too the first of which i want to start on the defensive side of the ball uh the number one and number two coverage grades in the nfl niners are number one the eagles are number two i've talked a lot about the eagles on this podcast over the years if you're a longtime listener you've heard a lot of uh something along the lines of this analysis the eagles have done a great job in the trenches since i don't know forever like when was the last time the eagles were really bad yeah. on either line you know, it was like blips in 2019 here and there right but they've had one of the best pass rush units in the nfl since about 2015 right they rolled seven or eight deep they rushed the passer well they've they've had turnover there they add in free agents like hassan reddick who just you know tear it up the pass rush has always been good in Philadelphia. 
But the coverage unit, however you want to define that, the back seven has been very inconsistent in Philadelphia. And the only time that they were good since 2015 was the Super Bowl year of Mm -hmm. 2017 and then this year, right? When the Eagles are good, they always have the good pass rush, but when they're among the elite teams, it's when they play well on the back end. So that's one of the big stories here, I believe. The James Bradbury pickup to go with Darius Slay, the way the linebackers have played in Philadelphia this year, uh, what Jonathan Gannon has done in year two as defensive coordinator, the Eagles having their best coverage unit since their Super Bowl team in 2017, now them going up against Kyle Shanahan in this 49ers offense. Yeah, when you look at all four of these teams, there's a lot of like first, second, third rankings in every category you can think of. Like, yeah. These are the best teams in the NFL this season. Um, the Eagles and the 49ers are actually quite interesting and quite similar in a lot of ways. And, you know, they're both extremely good almost across the board. But the one sort of area of not weakness, but a question mark for both of them is they both got pretty weak schedules that they played. Like you can look at the the teams that they've had to get through to get this far. And generally over the season, it hasn't been particularly strong. So like each one of them is running into the sternest test that they've had. Obviously, Philadelphia have had to play Dallas a couple of times. The 49ers played Dallas last week. But generally, these have these are two teams that haven't faced a gauntlet the way that, say, Cincinnati has on their way to the, the championship game. So Philadelphia running up against a defense like San Francisco is the toughest test they've had. And San Francisco's passing game that's been murdering everybody with Brock Purdy under center is facing its toughest test against Philadelphia. It's a good point, man. Are, are they uh, are they battle-tested enough? I mean, one of them's going to win. It's not going to matter. I think whoever goes um, to the Super Bowl – I mean, I've, actually, I've seen early lines in the Super Bowl. We're talking like a point yeah. either way. I've said, you know, this is the – by one report that I saw by one um, sports book, the closest uh, two lines for championship week since 1998. And we all remember what happened then. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we do. Uh-huh. Broncos and Falcons. Yeah. Made it to the they did. Super Bowl. Yeah. Because the kicker hadn't missed all season long. Missed a, missed a chip shot. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. Your Vikings, your 15 and 1 Vikings that year. was. It? And the most explosive offense in NFL history at the time decided to not bother taking a shot. Dirty Bird. Yeah. Jamal Anderson. Let's just, let's just, let's just get to the, let's just get to the locker room. Back in 98. Um, so it's going to be a good weekend, I believe. So let's talk Niners on their side of the ball. I, I mentioned, you know, the, I thought the difference in the game with the Cowboys is the Niners playmakers, you know, having um, four legitimate guys. I don't know if Brandon Ayuk's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL or anything like that, but he's one of the better route runners. Um, maybe he's underrated, but he's really good. Debo's really good. McCaffrey, top three running back, and, you know, George Kittle, top two tight end. Having all of those guys and, you know, the ability for Purdy to, you know, find the matchup. I think there's going to be fewer matchups in this one because the Eagle, Eagles have the outside corners to match up and they've got some good linebackers. But um, a fascinating matchup. The difference, I think, is going to be if the Eagles, Brandon Graham and company, Hassan Reddick, if they can get pressure, Javon Hargrave up for, uh, in the middle, get a little bit of pressure on Purdy and force those rookie mistakes that we haven't seen a ton of this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because um... – the Dallas defense is probably the toughest test that the 49ers have had outside of this Philadelphia game. Um, and when you look at it, like the Dallas defense kind of did its job last week. Okay, they, again, like 
the nature of NFL defense these days, you're going to miss on a play or two and give up something, and they did. But the 49ers scored 19 points in that game. The difference was the Dallas offense, you know, Dak Prescott turned the ball over a ton, and, they, you know, they couldn't put up enough points for it to matter. But when you look at this run that the 49ers have been on with Brock Purdy at quarterback, it's been 35 points, 21 against Seattle. So that's a low point as well. But then 37, 37, 38, 41, and then down to 19. Like that performance last week was about as good a job as anybody has done on this offense, which again supports this idea of they haven't been tested that much and the toughest test they had, they didn't score 20 points. So if that's what this is going to look like in this game, like the Eagles defense brings their A A game, they're able to slow down this 49ers offense the way Dallas did, and all of a sudden you're talking about like a 21, 24 point kind of output instead of 37 that's a much more attainable target for the Eagles offense, which obviously has its own work cut out for it because it's going up against the number one defense in the NFL. Do you think the, the 49ers defense is interesting the other way too because they've got two little blips there, which was uh, Jarrett Stidham's first start and then of course. way back in week seven against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The, the caveat there is the, the Niners were just a little bit more banged up in that week seven matchup. We didn't get to see the full strength 49ers against the Chiefs, but they haven't played too many really good offenses either mm -hmm. you know so that does make it does make the analysis a little bit more difficult right like when you when we discuss on the Bengal side it's going to be like big game joe and big game zach taylor and we've seen multiple years of stepping up uh with everything on the line the eagles have very much taken care of business this year as have the 49ers but there haven't been a lot of um, difficult challenges there so all right well how much are the Niners going to be able to run here against the Eagles front? Eagles like to play a little bit lighter up front. Will the Niners have some success up front, be able to open things up for Purdy in this passing game? I think they have to they have to have all of that going, right? The trickeration, moving McCaffrey, moving Debo Samuel, creating little mismatches, get the screen game going, and stay out of third and long as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think generally how the Eagles match up with those matchup weapon players – that the 49ers have on on offense is going to be interesting because Philadelphia obviously their corners have been extremely strong this year their linebackers have been good as well but their linebackers are not necessarily the most athletic guys in the world they're not necessarily guys that you want matched up one-on-one -on -one with Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle or whatever and you sort of wonder have they got a level where they're able to do you know pretty well against a, a certain group but then once they run into these superstars that's where they get overmatched um the 40 or the the eagles defense has given up yards in the run game it's different when uh jordan davis is out there and it's what was interesting is so obviously jordan davis was playing at the start of the season got banged up missed a few games they then signed linval joseph and, and adamic and sue while he was gone when he was injured and then when he came back they, they started sort of folding him back into the lineup, but a lot of the times he was kicked out further wide in the alignment because Linval Joseph is 900 pounds and can only exist over the nose. Whereas they're like, ah, Jordan Davis is athletic. We saw the combine. Let's move him a bit further wide. And he's just not as effective out there. Like he doesn't do the same kind of job. And I think Linval Joseph isn't as good in the interior. Last week though, he, was, he got the lion's share of those snaps. Like he was back there in the middle Joseph and, and Sue, I think both barely played in that game. Certainly Sue, I think, was hardy on the field. So I think their run defense is probably better than its overall numbers if 
that's the approach they're going to take, which is Jordan Davis playing 20 snaps, which is you know twice as much as Linval or Sue or whatever. I'm just looking through the Eagles' defense, and uh, I think overall this year they've been pretty good at limiting yards after the catch. The couple times when it wasn't great, you've got the Packers game back in Week 12. That was uh, was that the Jordan Love one, or was that um, Love came in in the Buffalo game, right? Or was it the Eagles game? It was uh, the Eagles game, right? Where Love came in and they had the big, big play to Christian Watson. But there was that was the most yards after the catch that the Eagles allowed. The Cardinals back in Week Five, Steelers back in Week Eight. And then the Cowboys in Week 16. I think if you're looking for the pattern, like who had who actually had success against the Eagles, which makes last week's game even more interesting, the Cowboys in Week 16 absolutely shredded the Eagles' defense. Um, which makes me think. I know the Cowboys aren't as good as the Niners, but would that have actually been a tougher matchup for the Eagles' defense? Because Dak, outside of a pick six to Josh Sweat, really did. Uh, just have open receivers left and right they had answers so if you're studying the film Niners should be looking at that week 16 game against the Cowboys that you know they got the third and 30 in that game um, but that's when they created a lot of yards after the catch 18 first downs through the air can the Niners pass game replicate that do the Eagles have enough it's a lot of it's going to be a lot of zone coverage four-man pressure can Purdy find the open man against this Eagles team I think the underneath pass game is going to be there, and that's going to be a matter of the Eagles tackling, right, against Ayuk and Samuel, Kittle. To me, that's going to be the name of the game. Stop the yak. Yak and stop the yak. Mm. That's the game here. Okay. And there'll be a little bit of run game for the Niners. I think they'll have success, but I don't think they're going to – I think, to your point, they didn't put up go, uh, points against good defenses, basically, against the Cowboys here yeah. last week, and I think it might be similar. It might be tough to come by against this Eagles D. Yeah, like everyone sort of focusing on, you know, Trent Williams did a really good job of slowing down Micah Parsons when they played one-on-one, which is not necessarily the most surprising thing in the world. Um, but overall, Brock Purdy was under pressure a lot in that game. Like he was under pressure 48% of his snaps, something like that. Micah Parsons had a lot of success in that game. It just didn't come against Trent Williams. Like he had eight pressures. Um, he was a really impactful player. So the the broader point is, yeah, Trent Williams might be able to lock – lock up his guy one-on-one all game long but if the other four guys can't do anything like that it might not be enough and Philadelphia is obviously a team that runs very deep when it comes to pass rush and pressure they had some crazy record this year of um, you know number of guys with a certain number of pressures and sacks like even more so than their 2017 year where they led the league in pressures Reddick had 75 pressures Hargrave had 59 Graham at 51, Josh Sweat 47, Fletcher Cox 42. So that's five guys with more than 40 pressures. 40 pressures is a pretty good number for anybody. To have five guys over that number is is ridiculous. Uh, Four of those five guys were into double digits when it comes to sacks, including Brandon Graham, including the postseason. Should have bet. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you take away one of those guys, you know, if if he's going to take away Josh Sweat, okay, now you just got four guys that are going to get pressure. PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. We're coming to you live from Western and Southern studio here. Um, if there's a weakness on the offensive line 
for the 49ers. I think it's a good, solid offensive line, Sam. They're probably better in the run game, right? They also get put into a really good position in the run game with Shanahan and the Mm -hmm. angles. And we talked about the McCaffrey 68-yarder back in the wild card round where it's like they're just outgapping the defense. But we have average to slightly above pass blocking grades for the 49ers up front outside of Trent Williams. Yeah. Rookie Spencer Burford's been been good, you know, for a mid-round rookie as far as the, you know, run game goes, but a 62 pass blocking grade. Um him taking on, you know, if if he's got Hargrave matched up against him or um you know, stunts and twists that you have to deal with with the edge defenders. But then also a 46 pass blocking grade on true pass sets when you take out play action, you take out some yeah. of that stuff. So, that's what I'm saying like with the if you get into must-pass situations, if you're the Niners, then you start to get into trouble. Well, also, I feel like this – so we talk all the time about the wondrous work that Kyle Shanahan can do for a quarterback, you know, and put guys like Nick Mullins on graphics with Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes or make Brock Purdy look like Joe Montana. Like, he's able to do incredible things with quarterbacks, but the other element that gets swept under the rug a lot is he also does that to offensive line. And when you look at – all the offensive lines that that have been part of the Shanahan offenses, they all look, they all have career years as well when he's the offensive coordinator or the head coach, the the offense is being run. So, look, Trent Williams is obviously a superstar. He was great before he got anywhere near San Francisco. Okay, he's been better in San Francisco, but point being, he's fine. The other four guys, they grade fine. They're okay. They, you know, across the board, whether it's pass blocking or run blocking, it's not a bad unit, but I feel like they're all benefiting from the Shanahan offense to a reasonably large degree. And, you know, that obviously doesn't matter because this is the offense. But if you run against, if you run up against a team like Philadelphia or Dallas from a week ago, if they're good enough, I think they can sort of offset the advantage of the Shanahan offense. Like it's not, it's a cheat code in terms of it, it sort of mashes the easy button for offensive linemen. Like they just don't have as many difficult assignments as offensive lines in other uh, in other offenses but it doesn't stop like it doesn't completely invalidate the fact that the dude opposite you is Micah Parsons or Javon right. Hargrave or Hassan Reddick or like guys that you're just not capable of blocking so if the Eagles have as big of an advantage man for man as it looks like they might have outside of Trent Williams I feel like it could be a similar story to last week which is you know they're not going to get completely overwhelmed but they're probably going to give up some stuff. Um, and the other thing that I've, I've highlighted before, while the Eagles have a ton of sacks and all those pass rush grades are legit, when you go back and when you see the reasons why quarterbacks are sacked, we always talk about how it, you know, it's actually more of a quarterback-driven stat, right? And a lot of that is because the quarterback controls when he gets rid of the ball. And there's a lot of games, the Eagles, the Titans game comes to mind, they got to Tannehill like six times or whatever in that game. And you go back and it's like the first read was taken away every mm single time the eagles do a great job of meshing their coverage unit and their pass rush they take away those first reads and it's the difference really between philadelphia and dallas this year in terms of pressure rate versus sack rate so the eagles and the cowboys both have almost identical pressure rates they're they pressure the quarterback 40 percent of the time essentially right but the eagles sack rate is so much higher than dallas's because they have the back end coverage to make the quarterback hold it longer to make it be a bigger problem when you actually get pressure. Um, so as a defense, despite essentially the same pressure rate, they have, what, more than – they have 24 additional sacks. Uh, is it 24? 26 additional sacks. Um, 
because they have coverage. Like, okay, Dallas has Trayvon Diggs, and he can create some turnovers and stuff, but the rest of that secondary is nowhere near as strong as Philadelphia. So the fact that the Eagles can bring coverage married to that pressure is huge in, in terms of their ability to generate sacks, not just pressure. So if they were able to pressure Brock Purdy 48%, like the Cowboys were last week, I think they're going to end up with more joy than Dallas did. So that's the story I'm looking for. Can the Eagles take away that first read, allow the, uh, the pressure to get home? Can the Niners run against some lighter fronts? Um, the one last thing on this side of the ball, will Kyle Shanahan be more aggressive here? Um, it was uh, Richard Sherman tweeted out the other day about how much he loves Kyle Shanahan. Like, you got to respect him. NFC Championship three out of the last four years. He's great. And I tried to – I'm in agreement, right? I, I think a lot of times we get caught up in the – um, Twitter discourse about well Kyle's too conservative he's this he's that it's the easy it's the easiest thing that we see in front of our face maybe he's leaving some win percentage points on uh, win probability points on the table during a game but I would take Kyle Shanahan as my head coach right like I would sure. I, I think everything that he brings to the table offensively elevating the quarterback elevating the system I, I think that's it, it outweighs fourth down decisions however when we start to get into these type of games, now you're the Niners, now you're the underdog against the Eagles. Presumably you're gonna be the underdog against the Bengals or the Niners, at least, uh, or the Chiefs. This is where you probably wanna to lean to the aggressive side a little bit more. I gotta go for it and not trust your, you can't trust your defense as much as the opposing offenses get better, and that's where we are at this point. So I'm keeping an eye on Shanahan. I love him, I would want him as my coach. He's one of my top three options as my head coach. But you can also be better when it comes to the in-game management. Yeah, I mean, Shanahan is a phenomenal head coach. I think he's a phenomenal offensive mind. He does a great job across the board. I do think that he has been left somewhat scarred by previous failures in some of the most key moments. And I think his instinct now is to be more conservative than maybe it was before. Um, and I actually, you know, his greatest sort of failure is obviously that 28-3 Atlanta Falcons collapse in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. And he gets given a ton of crap for being too aggressive there. I'm still very much on the fence about whether he even was. Like, they make any one of those plays. Like, you, you hear all the time, just keep doing what you're doing, right? You're up a huge amount. The worst thing you can do is get too conservative. Turn Like, it's exactly what we're talking about. The worst thing you can do is get too conservative, turtle up, and basically just hope you survive to the end of the game. If you keep hammering, you make any one of these plays, you win that game. And the problem is that they didn't. They didn't make any of them. Everything went against them, including some absurd sequence of plays. And ultimately, you know, the, the, this world of, well, the results dictate the narrative. You come out and you're like, well, he was too aggressive, way too aggressive. Why didn't he just run the ball constantly? Like, that's how you get out of that result. You run the ball. You... So I feel like... He's been scarred by that and will now always default to being a little bit too conservative in those high-pressure situations, which, okay, that's fine. It, it potentially limits the, the massive swings, but maybe you do leave a game-winning play on the table because you didn't want to call it because it was too aggressive. All right, on the other side, the Eagles offense against the Niners defense. One of my biggest compliments for the Eagles is every single week they're going to win differently, right, if they need to. Last week was more run game. They didn't need A.J. Brown. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of screen passes to Devontae Smith or little bubbles and everything. By the way, Devontae Smith, you saw it at Alabama too. What a feel 
for having the ball in his hands for just yards after the catch right Devontae Smith's not a guy who just you know takes it 50 yards a whole lot of he's not like Debo with the ball in his hands but doesn't Devontae Smith feel like that guy like it looks like you should be getting two but he gets six or it doesn't look like you should be getting into the end zone but he does Devontae Smith maximizing yak as well um, so is it going to be the pass game is it going to be the run game and how much does Hertz have to do in this game they've just done such a good job tapping into all their playmakers Dallas Goddard as well the run game and then Jalen Hurts as a runner yeah number one um, offensive line in the NFL I think is the starting point for everything on this Eagles offense they there's nobody that ranks lower than seventh in their position group on that offensive line uh, they it's the best line in the league when Lane Johnson is back he's not 100% but he's still good um, so that line is the thing that lets them do everything it work it makes the passing game easier it lets them run the ball and they're obviously going up against one of the best uh, run defenses in the league. I think the 49ers are second only to the Titans in just pure yards per attempt against the run. Um, how that whole dynamic is going to work is fascinating. The Eagles have one of those run offenses that is obviously augmented and boosted by Jalen Hurts and everything he can do, a little bit like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Like when you need a play, you can hand it off to – uh, Jalen Hurts and let him pick up yards that most offenses just don't have available to them so that part is obviously a, an interesting wrinkle the 49ers have the linebackers to potentially neutralize that we talked about Philadelphia has got good linebackers but they're not athletic freaks the 49ers have Fred Warner who can turn and run down the seam from an a-gap look against C.D. Lamb and cover him you know what I mean that's not normal for linebackers most guys cannot do that like he was he was one of those players in college that played that weird overhang linebacker cornerback type of hybrid role that doesn't really exist. But it means like you have freakish coverage ability because you don't do that if you can't move in space and run around quickly. So it's sort of in the, he's the he's the positive end of what that guy can become in the NFL, which is like a linebacker, but with legitimate DB spatial skills and running ability. Um, and that that gives them a matchup. Um, not, a, not necessarily an advantage, but it gives them the matchup possibilities that a lot of defenses just don't have. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be – last week, the Cowboys had to – they're forcing the ball to C.D. Lamb, right? right. I mean, it's it's in, in the Niners had answers on their side of the ball. The Eagles have their answers, right, with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, with Dallas Garter, plus the run game. Love this stat here, too. The Eagles, number two in the NFL, rushing yards gained before contact – um, the Niners are number three. When you look at this group, actually, it's the Ravens number one, Eagles number two, Niners three, Bills are number four. Three out of those four teams all have running quarterbacks or quarterbacks that will run. Lamar and uh, Hertz run the most, but Josh Allen's there as well. The fact that the Niners are that high without a running quarterback, either Purdy or Garoppolo this season, just shows how effective their running game is. But either way, we're again, we're talking about an Eagles offense right now that knows how to put their players in position to succeed. Then let's get to the cliches. You got to take care of the ball like the Eagles. You know, they, they, they started losing when they were turning the ball over. So you got to take care of the ball. Like we can't predict that necessarily. Um, and you got you to win in the red zone. And so when you're going to win in the red zone, A.J. Brown, where does he come in? Number one receiving grade uh, when targeted in the end zone. Six out of ten targets have become touchdowns. Four of them contested. And then the deep ball as well, right? He's got seven catches of 20-plus yards or seven receiving touchdowns on 20-plus yards. So A.J. Brown being able to create touchdowns from anywhere, 
I think they're going to need him more than they needed him last week when they just ran all over the Giants. AJ Brown is fascinating because he's been exactly what they was they were hoping he would be and he was supposed to be when they traded for him. Like he's become a the sort of true alpha receiver within that offense, the guy that you go to first. He also has changed he's benefited everybody. So he's changed the picture for Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith, who Devontae Smith, obviously a first round draft pick last year was good. But even last year, you came out of the season, you're like, can he really be that true number one guy? Like, can he become Justin Jefferson based off what we've seen from him in his rookie year? It's like, maybe? I don't know. He's a really good route runner. He's got great sideline feel. He's good after the catch. He's got, he reads coverages extremely well. But I don't know if he can do that stuff at the catch point the way Justin Jefferson can. I just don't know if that 166 pounds thing is going to be prohibitive to that going forward. So they bring in A.J. Brown. It's like, well, now he doesn't ever have to do that because A.J. Brown is the guy that's getting those looks. And so Devontae Smith has an easier life of, of things, but also it's changed the way Jalen Hurts plays the game because now he is putting the ball in the air to A.J. Brown on looks that he wouldn't have given to Devontae Smith last year or any other receiver. You nailed it, by the way. I mean, that was what you. That was one of the biggest benefits that you highlighted. Yeah. Not just the actual offense, but what it does to Hurts. And it's one of the few times where it's literally come true exactly as sort of speculated. Like, Jalen Hurts literally plays the game differently this year with A.J. Brown in the lineup versus a year ago when, when it was Devontae Smith or any other receiver. He will take a look up, and he'll put the ball in the air against coverage that isn't even that favorable just because he knows it's A.J. Brown. And this guy is whatever he is, 6'3", 225, versus like six foot 166. Like, it's different. So he's just going to give him a chance to make the play. And most of the time, obviously, he has been. But the point being, just that level of aggression changes what Jalen Hurts is able to do. And it also, he, he then has a better, uh, a better task of it outside of the A.J. Brown targets because of uh, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard's life being easier. Like, A.J. Brown upgrades everything in this offense across the board and I really think like he's been the root obviously in, in addition to the the offensive line being amazing but like he's been the thing that has transformed this offense from being good from being sort of unusual and uh, with a really high floor with Jalen Hurts scrambling ability and rushing ability to like this is really really difficult to stop yeah and when we talk about I know we we use wide receiver one in kind of like vague terms I, I want to better define it maybe uh I'll come up with a better definition but I think I'm talking about those guys who are force multipliers for their offense right we've seen what Tyreek Hill's done in Miami what AJ Brown has done in Philadelphia um, I think there'll be a fun discussion about T Higgins worth right uh, on the open market is he a, a wide receiver one by definition as in like one of the top 20 to 30 receivers in the league absolutely but is, is, is T Higgins a force multiplier like Jamar Chase has been for the Bengals I don't think so I don't know that he is AJ Brown's the force multiplier right even in games where he is not, you know, we were like last week, three catches for 16 yards, you still have to play coverages differently. You still have to account for him differently, and it opens things up for Devontae Smith and for Dallas Goddard. So the Eagles have answers, man. I think they're the best all-around team in the league. Let's get to the picks. They're favored by two and a half as of right now. PFF Green Line, go check it out. Part of your PFF Plus package. Eagles by two and a half. Where are you leaning? Well, I can't. I mean, the Eagles are the one part of my Super Bowl pick that's still alive. It was supposed to be Buffalo against Philadelphia. The Bills failed last week, so now I just have Philadelphia left. I have to go with the Eagles. Yeah, I feel like I've bet against the Niners for like the last six weeks. 
And most of the reasoning was like, okay, Purdy, Purdy can't keep going. He can't keep going, right? He can't keep going. And this isn't about a Purdy thing. I the think Niners. I, are, I believe in Purdy now. I oh, think it, okay. he's good. The Niners are significantly better against the spread this year than the Eagles are. Yeah. 13 and 6 against the spread for the Niners, 8 and 9 for the Eagles. I mean, half, half of that is just expectations, right? Well, that's the point, which is where the line is. Yeah. My expectation <laughs> is the Eagles are going to win. Yeah. As is everybody's, apparently. And my, and my expectation is they'll cover the, the two and a half. Okay. I'll take the Eagles to win this one. Is that where you're going? Because yeah. they're going to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, we've got four NFL teams. We're already talking about them. Two conference championship games and only a few more shots to win big in the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Now, not a new customer? That's fine. You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Get on those right now. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. It's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I'm, I'm no expert here, but we're running out of football games. So True. we might be running out of this uh, bet $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly deal. Mm-hmm. So uh, better get in on it right now. DraftKings Sportsbook, the code's PFF. All right, there's one more game to discuss. Look at that. We're already to the final game. Easy. Bengals Chiefs. It's the 6 o'clock window, 640 Eastern time, over in Kansas City. Burrowhead. In Burrowhead? Okay, so. Others have been saying. The... Um, the boss. We, were, we had a little talk upstairs, and I said, Chris, come on. The, the bulletin board material is overrated, right? It's overrated. He's like, no, nah, it's not. It's not. Like, he believes it. He believes it matters. So then my question is, who has accumulated more bulletin board material, right? Because both teams, it's like a whole week of feeling slighted, right? The Bengals are finding ways to feel slighted. The Bengals were really offended last week because team, they were selling tickets to Atlanta for the yeah. Buffalo Chiefs. AFC Championship, which you have to do logistically, but we're offended. We got to get offended, and then uh, you know nobody believes in the Bengals. It's still you know the old Bengals, right? They, they don't really believe in them, right? They can't actually do it. And then you know the Chiefs are the underdogs too, though, because Mahomes has a bad ankle, and somebody said that Mahomes might not be the best quarterback of all time, and people mm. are calling him Burrowhead. And so, so who has the most bulletin board material? Whoever has the most Wins. is going to win, unquestionably. The Chiefs. So the Chiefs win. The Chiefs They're win. They're calling their stadium Burrowhead. The Bengals are calling their stadium Burrowhead. Like the opposition is basically saying, "We own you." Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's about as bad as in terms of bulletin board material. Now, again, how much? How much you? But I see Bengals Twitter. They're offended by everything. Like. Um, yeah, but they're like manufacturing it. As this is what to- I'm saying. The whole week is a battle to manufacture as much offense as you possibly can. And whoever has the most offense at the end of the week is going to come out on top. Right now, the Chiefs are in front. If the Bengals fans could just get a little bit more offended, maybe they'll be able to swing it the other way. No, because what I'm saying is the Bengals are trying really, really hard to be offended at anything, right? Because obviously there's power in that. The Chiefs don't have to try hard. The opposition is literally calling their stadium Burrowhead. They're saying after three straight wins, who say we it? Why would they own do that? You from their social account? Or no, something? on the sideline. There's a video of Bengals DBs or whatever screaming <sighs> Burrowhead during the Bills game. Eli Apple's out there. Right, it's like Apple's out here trash talking his ass off despite his 57 grade for the last 
X number of years straight. Like, someone else will bail me out. I'm going to talk trash as long Eli's as I keep winning. Eli's just standing behind all the bullies that, you know, that yeah. he knows can protect him. Uh-huh. You know, like the other really good players on the team. Right. So, I, it's unquestionably Kansas City. It's got to be the Chiefs. Huh? Also, again, like, people are writing off their quarterback despite – he's Patrick Mahomes, for God's sake. And we're talking about, eh, is this other guy better? <sighs> Mahomes looked pretty good jogging on the leg yesterday. He Better also was like hopping down off his little podium thing, no no hitch in his giddy up. It looked fine. There was a lot of analysis on that. Is he is he gritting his teeth? No walking boot. No. no this boot. is a three to four week injury. I mean, Mark Brunel had a high ankle back in '98 as well. Yeah. That was the other thing that happened in '98 in the playoffs. The poor guy had to couldn't even complete a pass against the Patriots in the in the wild card round with his high ankle sprain. Hmm. They still won, but he was out for three to four weeks. Yeah. Turned it in. Turned in high ankle, which is what Mahomes did the other day. Yeah. It's a turned in ankle. Well, you see, the thing is, a high ankle sprain, as far as I can tell, is effectively like a misnomer. It's not It's nothing to do with your ankle. It's like it's the ligaments that hold the two bones together. Like whatever connects the two of them. Dr. Monson. Something that, that gets banjaxed. So it's not like it's not your ankle. It's some part higher up in your leg. Now, it might still hurt like a bitch, but my point being, it isn't an ankle injury. So the, the Chiefs are definitely winning this game. They're more offended. They are more offended. They've got more offense to yes. bring to the table on Sunday. Like, you're playing for the Super Bowl and everything, but we gotta we got to manufacture some more offense. There you go. Eli says it's Mike Hilton that was saying Burrowhead. Mike Hilton? Mm -hmm. Man. Hilton better have a... So, so Mahomes, this is like, when you're at superstar level, you attack you can you can like attack on purpose you know like when uh, was it anthony smith who was the Steelers' safety that was in 07 saying the patriots aren't that good with uh brady and moss and they were just like uh we're gonna make you look bad mm. in this game we're gonna go out of our way to make you look bad in the red zone on a flea flicker we're gonna attack you specifically you can't like regular players can't do that only stars yeah. can do that right so Mahomes and the Chiefs can like Michael choose. Jordan you know you piss off Michael yeah. Jordan he's gonna spend the rest of the day making your life miserable so the Chiefs are gonna like draw up like they're gonna do the merry-go-round thing and be like we're attacking Mike Hilton just to make him look bad you know what I mean like the Chiefs are gonna have something dialed up or Mike Hilton's gonna spend his entire day one-on-one -on -one with Travis Kelsey and give up yeah. 225 yards it's gonna be like Kadarius Tony like you have to tackle Kadarius Tony in space one play and then cover Travis Kelsey in the in the red zone on the next play they're going to find a way to attack Mike Hilton that's what's happening here mm. all that said this is big game Bengals here man they just seem to step up in all these games right I I've, I watched a video recently I forget who the players involved were but some guy was telling a story about how um, he was like what somebody asked him what's your I think it was Dan Patrick asked him like what's your favorite Michael Jordan story he goes, oh, so one day, you know, we were going to play the Bulls, and I, I had an injured ankle, so I wasn't going to play that day. And, uh, you know, Mike saw me after the warm-up. He's like, hey, I hear you're not playing. He's like, no, I have bad ankle. He's like, so who's, who's guarding me? And he named this guy, and he goes, oh, 50. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, he's just going to go out and drop 50. And he goes, and he did. Yeah. And he had to go, this guy had to go tell the guy that was sort of covering. He's like, just – FYI, Mike says he's going to put 50 up on you. And he's like, and don't piss him off or it'll be more. Yeah, like, it'll be more. <laughs> just take it. Be quiet. Smile. Say, good shot, Mike. Don't make him mad or that 50 will go up to like 80. They, like, just, just accept the 50. Right. Accept the 50. Be happy with it and walk out of the game. 
so th- this line has gone all over the place. I think there was a point where yeah. the Bengals made it up to two and a half or something. It's now Chiefs by one. Right. Which is um, where it started, right? Isn't but I, I think it's where it started. But is that all on the back of watching Patrick Mahomes in warm-ups? And not? <laughs> because think about what he did on, like, on Sunday, right after the injury. He was hopping on the other leg just to, like, make a handoff, right? Yeah. Just to hand the ball off. He couldn't make the stretch play. Like, he couldn't make it to the mesh point on a stretch run. And they kept calling the stretch, stretch runs, play, yeah. which is interesting. Um, but, yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't even run out there um, to, to make the handoff. And yesterday, for what it's worth, we saw him jog a little bit. No, like, hard movements or, you know, lateral movements or whatever. Um, but uh, Dr. Chow, you know, the injury doctor, he does a pretty good job of diagnosing these things. He said, look, there's going to be mobility issues. There's yeah. going to be issues there. Um, and I believe that. So I, I think, okay, story of the game here. Will Mahomes have to win from the pocket? Or is he going to be scrambling around a little bit? And I've reiterated, I think the Bengals have been the best team at retracing steps and handling Mahomes in the pocket, they might have to change their game plan too because you actually might want to win some pass rushes now. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Uh, To me, this is a really fascinating conundrum for the Bengals during this week because I think the game plan for attacking Patrick Mahomes when he's 100% healthy is diametrically opposed to the game plan to attack him if he's hobbling around on a busted leg and can't really move. Like, I think you want to do the exact opposite thing for each one of those guys. The Bengals have been phenomenal in the last few games against Mahomes at doing what everybody else struggles with, which is keep him in the pocket, don't let him outside. If he's going to start breaking outside of the pocket, make sure you're all over him the second he does it. Don't let him have space and run around out there and kill you on the edge. They've been incredible at keeping him in the middle. But if he can't move... You might want to move him off a spot and get him running and, you know, hobbling, trying to outrun Trey Henderson in the open. Like, that's not going to work either. So what do you do during the week? Do you, like, practice the normal game plan because, A, it's worked, and, B, it's usually the best way of stopping Mahomes? Or do you say, if he's 50% of the guy he normally is, we want to dial up the blitz. We want to dial up stunts. We want to get, you know, be a little bit more reckless with how we rush him because moving him is the most important thing, not keeping him contained and then trying to get some pressure. And it feels like you probably have to assume that you're going to get healthy Mahomes and then have some things like ready in the chamber to deploy if, if it turns out he's way more hobbled than you thought he was going to be. You can't, you can't bank on that, right? Like you can't go, he's going to be hobbled, so let's, let's come up with the most aggressive game plan possible. And then it turns out actually he's quite mobile back there and you're boned. Yeah, I, mean, I think you have to have both options. I mean, look, I think the other part of it too, right? It's, it's almost like this is a disadvantage that Mahomes and the Chiefs can use as an advantage. Sometimes the way to get pressure on Mahomes is, is something you tell pass rushers never to do, which is just go as deep as you can around the tackle, right? Because we know on those third and long plays, Mahomes will drop back to like 11 yards, which is also a no-no, right? Mahomes breaks the rules of quarterbacking, which is don't drop back too far. You're going to lose your protection. But he's made it work through the years because he has a good spatial awareness and feel. And But then pass rushers start adjusting to that. They're like, all right, I'm just going to run to 11 yards because they can't block it. Well, now if you run to 11 yards, I don't think Mahomes – I think Mahomes is going to stay in the pocket and step up. Right, So now you can't run to 11 because you're out of the play. So Mahomes is going to stay in the pocket and step up. Now you need your interior front defensive lineman, you know, your DJ readers to start compressing the pocket from the middle. 
And that's where the Chiefs' strength is. Their pass rush, their pass blocking strength. I mean, those guys were lights out on Saturday last week. Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith. So um, it, it's going to be an amazing – just watching the trench battle and, and what you have to do with Mahomes. It also reminds me a little bit – remember when Aaron Rodgers was hurt uh, one of his years – when he wasn't, when he was playing outside of the previous years, he was playing out of structure way too much, mm-hmm. and it just forced him to to get rid of the ball quickly. Two point four seconds, play within structure. If this forces Mahomes to play a little bit more within structure, it doesn't ruin the Chiefs' offense. It's like they can still do that too. Right. It, you might lose a couple spectacular plays per game, but you can still win that way. So the Chiefs have answers to like a three to four week injury of Mahomes because Mahomes can execute it. And they also do have the right offensive linemen, I think, to make it work. Yeah, but the Bengals have been very good at causing problems in that sort of quick, within the pocket, um, underneath type of offense. True. Like generally, right? Yeah. So if you if you then say, well, now that's all he can do because he can't, he's not as mobile as he usually is. He has to play that way. I mean, it's even more of a green light for the Bengals to do what they do well. Like when you look at the last couple of years, uh, what teams have done against Mahomes. The Bengals are significantly below average in terms of blitz rate. They only blitz them 16% of the time. They're below average in terms of stunt rate. They don't you know, mix things up on the, the defensive front much at all. They run a very vanilla type of defensive front against Mahomes, and they drop a ton of the coverage. By the way, this chart is hilarious because – Everybody in the NFL has got the memo of you don't really blitz Patrick Mahomes except one team who really didn't get the memo. Uh, number two in the Cardinals. League. Yes. Yeah. Number two in the league is the, mo- is the second most aggressive team in terms of blitzes against Mahomes in the last two years, and that's the Chargers who have blitzed him 28% of the time. Um, interestingly, two of the top three are in his division. Denver is 27.3. The Cardinals, so 28.2 is number two. You know how often the Cardinals blitzed him? Oh, they were like 50. That way. 61% of the time. Five touchdowns and 378 yards later. Yeah, you would imagine that, you know, the next time they play him, they'll have a better idea. Yeah, I, that part's interesting too. So Lou Anarumo on that, on that side of the ball for the Bengals, it does feel like he just dials up the right play at the right time. He's so, very good at that because yeah. that's the thing. When you – they don't blitz him often at all, but the blitzes that they do have – have quite a lot of success against him. So he manages to time up blitzing at just the right moment to cause some issues. Yeah, and that was that was him last week against the Bills, right? And then, so in that first matchup this week, uh, this year, well, let's go back to the AFC Championship. In the AFC Championship, they talked, you know, it was, it was the three-man rush. That was the big second-half adjustment that the Bengals made. They rushed three. They made Patrick Mahomes play patient. Well, this year, Patrick Mahomes has been far more patient, right? Too high stuff doesn't doesn't affect them as much. It's a different offense. They they do throw the ball underneath, find the open man, create yards after the catch, the whole thing. So in the last matchup, it wasn't, you know, let's just rush three 10, 15 times, and that will, that'll be the answer for Mahomes. But on the biggest play of the game, third and two, Chiefs trying to make their game-winning uh, drive, they had great disguise at the line of scrimmage and rushed three. Mm-hmm. And it was another one. I think it was Hendrickson track it, retra- retracing his steps and getting the sack of Mahomes. So they, they – they had a little disguise. They rushed three. They took away the first read. Pass rush got home with three. It's not nothing is as simple as do this thing every time and you'll slow down Mahomes. But what the Bengals have done defensively is the right play at the right time. So we're going to see the three man rush. Well, they at a few key times. It's about how do they get into it and do the Chiefs have answers to that when they when they when they show it. They default 
to this idea of we're going to drop a lot of guys in coverage. We're not going to blitz. We're not going to stunt up front. We're going to have a very sort of conservative-looking defense. But they'll also make it every now and again we're going to send something. And you're not necessarily going to figure out when it's coming. So the, the Bengals also lead the league in the percentage of like eight eight guys in coverage, drop eight, that the Chiefs have faced over the last couple of years as well. The next team is Buffalo. Like the teams – the teams that know they have to deal with Patrick Mahomes are the teams that are good at this and understand how to stop him. So now, again, it, it's not like it works all the time. He's still able to carve that up. But it's what is your best shot at this? Because you're talking about the best quarterback in the NFL and one of the greatest quarterbacks the game has ever seen. Your strike rate is going to suck whatever you do. It's just how can we make it suck slightly less to give us a shot of winning the game? That's what it is, man. You're going up. It's a, it's a very fine. It's playing basketball. Like, he's, he's going to drop 50 on you, but how do we make it 50 instead of 60? You know, like, that's, that's your task when you're playing Mahomes. I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season. It's underdog fantasy and their pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF. An underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. Bengals on offense here. We've seen uh, Burrow and the Bengals. They had success last year during the regular season. Remember, that was the the third and 27 game. Yep. There was a lot of man coverage by the Chiefs in that game, and they just got burnt on some of those key plays. Uh, they came back in the AFC Championship. It wasn't really a dominant performance by the Bengals offense, but the screen game was really good. Some IJP Ryan creating some big plays there. And then earlier this year, uh, once again, Bengals moved the ball pretty well. Wasn't dominant by any by any stretch, but certainly the Bengals offense outplayed the Chiefs offense in that game. So now what are the Chiefs going to do on this side of the ball? Joe Burrow's stats, they played a lot more zone um, was the stat I was going to pull. They played a lot more zone in the – in the recent matchups, over the last two years, Joe Burrow's grade in the high 80s against zone against the Chiefs, but only 67 against man. But I think it's kind of like in – I know it's in Chiefs fans' heads. Like, oh, man, we, we, we manned up with Jamar Chase on third and 27. We can't do that again. But Burrow's picked apart the Chiefs, who like to play their press man on the outside. Are they able to do that? Are they going to go back to that well against T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and company? Yeah, so one thing I, th- I think that was kind of interesting, um, you know, a lot of the narrative now is <laughs> Burrowhead, that the Bengals own the Chiefs, they're 3-0 and against them, like if, if they make it 4-0, and blah, 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 all this stuff. And, you know, obviously when you stack up three straight wins like that, it does look pretty conclusive. But I, I meant to send this to Tyler and didn't get around to it. The, you know, those win probability graphs where it's just oh, yeah. like zero minutes, 60 minutes, and then where the, like who's likely to win this game over the course of it. The Chiefs have been more likely to win the game against Cincinnati in all three occasions for the majority of the game. Like, what is 3-0 and in Cincinnati's favor generally starts in the last couple of minutes of the game uh, swinging in their direction. Now, the third one, the one, the most recent one, it was the most sort of 50-50 back-and-forth battle that they had, right? But the other two were actually 
Kansas City in control for the majority of the game, and then Cincinnati kicked on halfway through the second half and actually started really getting it back in control. But the point being, three games have all gone Cincinnati's way, and in all three, Kansas City was in all three of them. Like, they were close. This is not, I don't think, a case of one team owns another team, and it's simply a case of in a very close battle between two very good teams, one team happens to be on a 3-0 run. Yeah, quick recap on that too, right? I mean, the... The 2021 regular season game, that was the game where Zach Taylor and the Bengals in a, uh, what was it, down three? Or in a tie game, or in a tie game, did not want to kick the field goal. They were afraid to kick the field goal for fear of giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with a minute left, a Mm -hmm. minute and a half left. And they did everything they could to run out the clock and kind of got lucky, right? They went for it on fourth and one, had a penalty, got the new set of downs so that they could run out the clock and kick the game-winning field goal. But they were one of the first teams to say, we're not going to fall for this trap. We're not going to kick a game, a go-ahead field goal with a minute left, give it back to the Chiefs and Mahomes, because at worst, they're going to get a field goal. We're going to go to overtime. And, at well, at worst than that is they're going to you know score a touchdown. We lose. We're not even going to allow that to happen. We're going to go for the win, right? Bengals went for the win, and it ended up working out for them. The conference championship, I don't know how – I mean – Credit the Bengals. They did a good job. But I've never seen Patrick Mahomes implode like that. I mean, it was one of the worst second-half implosions in NFL playoff history. Mahomes is awesome and everything, but this is one of the worst implosions I've ever seen. And even in that game. Taking sacks, fumbles, um, an unlucky interception maybe in overtime. But the Chiefs choked away the second half against the Bengals. In that game, like, the Chiefs are 77% to win that game with a couple minutes left. Like, in the first game... They are 62.5% to win the game halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, like, they've been – This is these have been very close games that the Bengals have ended up winning three straight. So, I think generally the narrative is a little bit over the top when it comes to, like, oh, Cincinnati just owns the, Kansas, the Chiefs. They, they, you know, they have their number. They're a better team against them, blah, blah, blah. I do think it's true that the Bengals do as good a job as anybody, if not better – at slowing down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think that necessarily makes them automatically better because they're on a 3-0 run against them. Like, I think the Chiefs easily could end up winning this game. Now, that is sort of independent of, hey, by the way, Mahomes might not be able to move. That changes things. Yeah, I mean, that that's the other thing, right? When Mahomes is going to be hurt, like, it's going to... It's going to affect things. Yeah, the question nobody is, knows how much. Yeah, the, the question is how much. So right. even last week where he did like suck it up and threw a touchdown on one leg there's also the pass in the flat that he just completely misses because he didn't know like oh yeah. i can't follow through on this he'll at least have a better idea of what he can do and can't do i'm assuming by sunday yeah but i don't it here's the thing if it takes away two or three of mahomes spectacular plays right is that enough right it's the it's the scramble out it's the shovel pass it's the it's the third and 15, 16 yard run that and, he picks and up. That, that is where the, the last three games, I think, are instructive because if you're saying you face effectively the same kind of Chiefs team and the same kind of Bengals team, minus, but now you're minus two or three Mahomes plays, I mean, that probably is the difference in those games because those have all yeah. been very close, essentially 50 50 games that have all swung. Like the coin has come up tails three times in a row, right? But now if you're saying, well, now, now we've weighted the coin. Because one side of it, we've taken away three good plays from yeah. Mahomes. That probably is enough. And so here's the other part of it. If you do end up rushing three or rushing four, you have more in coverage. At some point, does Mahomes get frustrated as well, right? I mean, I know he's been far more patient this year Much than in past more. years. But we know it's kind of like in his DNA to make plays. 
And so he's been very good at making plays with his legs. If he can't go pick up 10 yards as a runner, is he going to force one into tighter coverage? Is he going to make a mistake here and there? So I think that part of it is going to be fascinating as well. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of that was all driven by Tyreek Hill, though. Like, I think the whole sort of feel about that offense is different. Sure. One, they're not facing as many too high shells because Tyreek Hill isn't there. Like, I think it, be, it became pretty obvious that Tyreek Hill was the, was the reason they were seeing so many of those coverages. And then all of a sudden it was like, actually, you know, they don't do that well against these. We should probably run more of them. Um, but also, I wonder how much of the impatience that Mahomes started to display was sort of knowing that I, I got to get the ball to Tyreek Hill. Like, you know, the way like Stephon Diggs was losing his mind in that Buffalo-Cincinnati game, right? And it's like Diggs is now showing a propensity in multiple different places and multiple different times getting a bit frustrated when he's not getting the ball and things aren't going well. This is the nature, I think, of being an elite wide receiver at times that you want the damn ball. And okay, sometimes you want it too much and you want the ball like regardless of what's going on around you. Like the only thing that's important is that I get 10 catches for 150 yards. I don't care whether we win or lose. Because right? it's better for the team. Well, yeah. That's but, what they no, no, no. But that's, I think sometimes you, get, you take it too far and you end up with that, right? Sure. And I think there are definitely receivers that are in, there, in that category. Then I think you get the ones like Diggs and maybe Tyreek Hill where it's like, if we're not cooking – like, get me the damn ball. Like, I can, I can help this. I can give us the play. Like, give me a chance. You know what I mean? And I wonder how much of that sort of feeds into a guy like Mahomes or Allen where you start making mistakes because you do force a ball trying to get that guy the play because you know that he's losing his mind on the sideline. All right. Yeah, man. I, that side of the ball is going to be fascinating. How about Burrow and the Bengals? Jamar Chase, they've done more to move him around. Um, there's a lot of times where the, you know, there are some games where Burrow plays that really patient game too, right? He takes the underneath stuff. He's definitely gotten rid of the ball much quicker. Will the offensive line be a factor in this game, right? They didn't really – they weren't a factor against the Bills. The snow probably helped a little bit. There were some plays where Jackson Carmen lost, right? You know, he did lose as a pass rusher. He got bull rushed sure. a couple times. Um, but it didn't show up because Burrow generally made plays behind it. That's why it felt like the line was better. They also did have a lot of plays where there was just a clean pocket for Burrow, and they and they played great. Does Chris Jones have to dominate this game up front for the Chiefs, or do yes. we need to see playoff Frank Clark or some sort of George Karloftis breakout here? It feels like the Chiefs' defensive line is going to be a huge part of this game. Yeah, one of those two things needs to happen. Either Chris Jones needs to absolutely dominate, and he didn't the last time they played. Like he had a couple of pressures. Um, or the extra attention that Chris Jones is taking up because I think you can reasonably treat the Chiefs as this is a one-man defensive front. If we take Chris Jones out of the game, we win. So if they're gonna, if that's the Bengals' game plan, like double-team Chris Jones at all costs, make sure the ball, like give him the Aaron Donald treatment, that's when somebody else needs to make a play. That's when George Karloftis actually needs to find some decisive wins for the first time in the season. That's when Frank Clark needs to show up and get playoff Frank Clark and get a couple of sacks in there or Carlos Dunlap or somebody right so if neither of those two things happens I think the Bengals are in good shape if one of them can happen then that's how Kansas City's defense can fight back in the last matchup the Chiefs had a game-winning drive opportunity down three um, that get thwarted they ended up punting and I don't think they got the ball back in that game though the Bengals also had a wide open Tyler Boyd for a touchdown he dropped they had to settle for a field goal easily could have been a two-score game at the end at the end so you know Cincinnati have they had the Chiefs number enough 
Does that matter? We'll see. It's it's a lot like that Niners Rams matchup last year, right? At what point does the does the matchup matter, or or the Bengals just that are they just that good right now? Because they looked that good against the Bills last week, plus the extra quarter that we saw them against the Bills. Cincinnati also has the Bills number. They step up in these big games. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say about that Bengals offense is it is much more diverse and versatile than it was a year ago. Absolutely. Like last season, it was like, when we get in a tough spot, we're going to go Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase and hope that wins. And to be honest, they, like they do that to an extent still. Like the, the two-minute drill this year, it's still Burrow to Chase. But they've shown so many different ways to win this year. And they've shown the ability to adjust on the fly. Like in that Buffalo game where it became clear, all right, we get out to a big lead early. Um let's start running the ball. Let's just impose our will now. Let's dominate the trenches. Let's control the line of scrimmage. And they pivoted to this run-heavy attack, and that crushed. Like, if they get in a position where they need their offense to sort of see the game out against Kansas City, I think they're much better equipped to do that this year than they were last season. All right, man, let's get to the picks. Uh, Kansas City, as of right now, favored by one. Yeah. Where are you going? This is... I'm pushing back a little bit on the general narrative. And I think, look, it's still Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey in Arrowhead, not Burrowhead. Therefore, my starting position. He said it just joking in passing. But it's Bolton. Mike Mike Hilton. No, he didn't. So my my starting position is the Chiefs win. I'm leaning there because they've got more Bolton board material. I also think, by the way, you know, if you think how hard it is to beat a team three times in a row, imagine how hard it must be to beat them how four times in a row. Win four times. I said that the other day. Again, you know, I, against my own rules. You know, kind of <laughs> like making a joke that nobody even knows what you're talking about. But I had uh, Bengals fans giving me the clown face. Clown sending face. clown face. But yeah. they got offended. That was bulletin board material for the Bengals fans. But the Chiefs have more bulletin board material. They do. A lot more. The Chiefs are leading in offense. Therefore, I think they're going to win. Sound reasoning. And covered the uh, the one. The one, yeah. And so we have both predicted a Kelsey, Kelsey Super Bowl. Yeah, Kelsey, Kelsey. Could be good for their podcast. You would imagine so, yeah. I'm sure we'll definitely be able to get them Super Bowl week. You think they have their own table on Radio Row? <laughs> they will. <laughs> the podcast just going to yeah. be live all week? Yeah, right after practice, they're going to slide right. over into the Radio Row to do that. Well, they so. got like media week. That's when they're getting farmed out anyway, right? Yeah, they do have the whole media thing. We're not going to media night, are we? Media Usually night? Isn't that Monday Like the night? awards thing? What are you talking about? The media. They have like the big media kickoff night. Uh, we're usually in after that, but we're, we're early Monday. So yeah, maybe. We, might, we might be able to go. Yeah. might go to that. It's like a zoo over there. It's a lot of people, thousands of people over there. You have an inbuilt advantage in those zoo-like situations. Just stand over everybody? Yeah, you automatically. Talk about the game. You rise above the the claustrophobia of you know my thing's just gonna put a mic and just be like talk about pff yeah talk about pff oh good old pff good old pff (laughs) we have to become more likable to the players how do we uh enhance our brand to the players i don't know so they're not so mad at us all the time we give them awards and stuff yeah sent them awards like we didn't give players with good grades usually like us we didn't send them anything this year maybe that's why all right i hear the boss outside It's time to go. Yep. That's it for us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again Monday morning reviewing. Actually, no, I lied. Sunday night, right after conference championship game. We're going to react accordingly to those games. So join us Sunday night live on YouTube here, PFF NFL Podcast.